0: We're in Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen to twenty-four morning, and it's gonna take me a minute to get us there because I wanna give you sort of sort of a background as to what's been going on in Matthew. I went to see the eye doctor this week to do my yearly checkup to see why my nearsightedness seemed getting worse with an upgraded prescription for new glasses. And the doctor told me that a new prescription wasn't going to help my blurred vision because my pres- prescription wasn't the problem for why my vision was blurring. The problem with my vision is due to the cataracts in both of my eyes. And the doctor explained to me, the cataracts make your vision cloudy or hazy or blurred. They actually conceal and hide what you would normally be able to see if your eyesight was clear and good. And he said, I could have cataract surgery, and that would remove the cataracts and greatly improve my vision, and it would make my sight clear and transparent once again. And as I've thought through the passage this morning, I think Jesus is asking the kingdom citizens... To consider the clarity of their spiritual eyesight. Am I seeing spiritual things the way I ought to, as they really are? Is my heart focused where it should be on heavenly eternal treasures? Or is my spiritual vision clouded with cataracts, rendering my spiritual eyes unhealthy and out of focus? Is my spiritual understanding of heavenly treasures clouded by a nearsightedness because of an unhealthy preoccupation I might have with earthly treasures? Is my spiritual vision singularly focused on God and in His kingdom? Well, we're well into preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has been describing the characteristics and the behaviors of people who are citizens of God's kingdom. And Jesus has been giving us a clear picture about the reality of life as a kingdom citizen. Sorry about this. because kingdom citizens are supposed to be heavenly focused on heavenly values. And because of that focus, there are certain behaviors and characteristics that reflect those heavenly values. Why doesn't this ever happen to Travis? That's much better. Good. I'll just take that off right now. In chapter 6, Jesus began by commanding citizens, kingdom citizens, to continuously take heed how they approach three spiritual things, showing mercy and compassion to others, prayer and fasting, The word take heed is in the present tense. It means you should keep turning your mind to this. Keep being attentive to a truth I'm going to be telling you. Always be devoting your thought and effort to this particular truth. And then he tells us the truth and it's don't be a hypocrite. Kingdom citizens aren't pretenders. They aren't actors who outwardly play the part of a religious man to perfection, but are inwardly, utterly alien to the spirit of true religion. Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrites. You'll remember some of those things. Hypocrites can't see the log in their own eye, but they don't have any problem seeing the speck in someone else's eye. Their vision is so muddled that they can't ascertain their own true spiritual condition. Everything that hypocrites do that's pretentious and false in order to receive the temporal admiration of men is completely wrong-headed. he's saying. Acting out your spiritual life to receive the applause of men is pagan. It's wicked, it's unrighteous. It demonstrates that your spiritual understanding is clouded by cataracts. And as if that isn't enough of a reason to avoid being a hypocrite, Jesus said hypocrites receive the greater condemnation and judgment. Those awful words are reserved for hypocrites, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And all the while hypocrites are pretending to be spiritually in tune with God, God knows that their hearts are far from him. Which is a clear indication that the problem of hypocrisy is really a heart issue. They don't recognize that their empty and vain pretentious worship is a stench before God. They aren't spiritually aware enough to realize that God knows that their heart isn't engaged in anything that they're doing. In all of these scriptures, Jesus is saying that the hypocrite has a heart that isn't true to God. Their spiritual vision and understanding of the person of God is clouded. So Jesus wants kingdom citizens to know that there's a real danger in being pretentious before God. And there's only one reason why one would ever be pretentious before God. That's because your spiritual eyesight about him is completely clouded. The heart of the hypocrite is blinded to the reality of God and his kingdom. And consequently, their whole spiritual worldview is completely out of focus. And so Jesus' message is, everything the hypocrite does to be seen by men to receive glory from men to receive the temporal rewards of men are all actions and behaviors that indicate a true spiritual blindness and so these are the foundational ideas that Jesus is building on that set up the passage we're looking at this morning in John in Matthew 6:19 to 24 and you can almost sense how Jesus is thinking. Speaking of the motives of a misdirected heart in seeking earthly rewards. Speaking of actions that demonstrate wrong-headed thinking. Speaking of being spiritually out of focus and blinded about the differences between earthly treasure and heavenly treasures. Listen to me, disciples. Disciples. You cannot serve God and mammon. So note the simplicity of Jesus' divine reasoning here. Don't do this where these things happen. Instead, do this where these things don't happen. Literally, don't keep treasuring up for yourselves treasures on earth like you've been doing where moth and rust spoil them and thieves dig through and steal them. Instead, keep treasuring up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust spoils and where thieves neither dig through or steal. I think the first thing we need to recognize here is that this isn't about money necessarily. I say that because I think the first reading we might come across think about is that Jesus is talking to us about how we should approach our finances. But in context, that's not what this passage is about at all. This passage is really just explaining in more detail what he's already been saying. This passage is just another warning for the listener to be attentive to your spiritual condition. Keep checking your spiritual eyesight to make sure it's clear in discerning what things are of real value in life and which things aren't. And I think this is a warning to kingdom citizens in 19 to 24 about a temptation that believers can fall prey to when they don't fully trust God to meet all their needs. This is another take heed to watch out for something idea. But here he's not talking about hypocritical pretentiousness like before. Rather, he's saying watch out for the practical temptation that might come from your heart, not being singularly focused on God and eternal treasures and rewards. A.W. Tozer said it well, I think. There can be no doubt that the possessive clinging to earthly things is one of the most harmful habits in the Christian life. Because it's so natural, it's rarely recognized for the evil that it is. But its outworkings are tragic. I think Jesus recognizes that believers might fall prey to the temptation to seek their security in earthly rewards and treasures if their hearts aren't entirely depending on God to meet all of our needs. The danger in pursuing the goods of this world can come at the cost of failing to see the spiritual value of seeking an internal inheritance. And in this passage this morning, Jesus is warning his disciples about the temptations they might be prayed to if they don't really trust that God will provide for them. As if to say, if in your mind, in your spirit, you don't really trust that God will provide for you, you're likely to do one of two things. You'll either secretly trust mammon that you've hidden away to meet your needs, that's 19 to 24 or 25 to 34, you'll become really anxious about whether or not God will actually meet those needs. In either case, your heart does not fully trust God. And Jesus says that the ultimate danger here in trusting mammon is that you won't be able to serve mammon and God at the same time. It's just a spiritual impossibility. You're going to hold on to one and despise the other, and that's just a spiritual truth, folks. No one can serve God and mammon. So let me take a moment to explain to you how I've arrived at this understanding of the temptations that might arise from not having a clear vision of the person of God. One of the things Jesus told us to pray for is that the Father would keep us from temptation in the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, 13, he said, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so in an effort to remain attentive to context before and after the passage on the Lord's Prayer, I see Jesus saying, Lord, don't let us be brought into the place of temptation if we find we aren't able to fully trust you. We're asking the Father to keep us from a time of testing and future trials that might lead us into sin as a result of not trusting him. I see this as a specific petition to not let any temptation get a hold of us or have power over us in the event we struggle with placing our trust in earthly rewards and goods instead of in our Father. Don't allow us in our mistrust of you to be overpowered by the temptation or the trial to trust mammon rather than you, Father. Do not let our hearts choose unrighteousness over simply trusting you. So I see here in verses 19 to 24, Jesus referring to a special temptation that the rich might succumb to. And there's a special temptation that the poor might fall into in verses 25 to 34. See, the rich are tempted to put their trust in what they have and can obtain instead of simply trusting God's provision for them. And the poor are tempted to always be anxious that God in his providential care won't give them all that they really need on a regular daily basis. And so let me take a moment to clarify what mammon is. I think there could be some confusion there. Mammon doesn't necessarily refer to something that's negative. It can mean money or riches, property, slaves, uh, or the goods of this world alone. And the value you place on those earthly goods is a reflection of the spiritual condition of your heart. Mammoth mammoth is, did I say mammoth? (laughs) Mammoth is anything that you place your confidence in. It's anything of value that you put your trust in, whether it's riches or treasure or slaves or property or money. It's derived from the Hebrew word matmon, which means treasure. But specifically, it's a precious treasure. A precious enough to be hidden because it's so highly desired and valued. Mammon is a treasure that you hide away in an attempt to make it more secure by burying it so that it can't be stolen by thieves. It's very precious to you. And as a kingdom citizen, there is nothing you can own that is more precious than your father, Jesus is saying. This is why... Jesus says not to seek earthly treasures. They get eaten. They get rusted out. They get stolen. Don't put your effort to find security there when the most precious thing you have is your father and his promises to care for you. Mammon is a word, by the way, that only Jesus uses. And when he uses the word, he means property or earthly goods in a derogatory way. In sinful sense, in a materialistic and anti-godly sense where you place your trust in those instead of trusting your heavenly father and his ability to satisfactorily meet your needs. And so if your undivided concentration is in securing earthly goods, you cannot at the same time have a wholehearted devotion to God and to his service. That's all. So the problem is that you can't really be demonstrating confidence in God's provision when you keep a precious, costly little stash nearby just in case case God doesn't come through for you. That's the idea. So Jesus' concern isn't the fact that a man has riches which might keep him from entering the kingdom of heaven. The problem is when the riches have him. To seek security in mammon instead of in God is just contrary to what Jesus just taught us in the Lord's Prayer. The God I was just instructing you to pray to who's your father, whose will you are seeking to submit to, knows everything you need. Your father knows you need daily bread. He knows you need forgiveness of sins. He knows you need deliverance from temptation and from evil. Possibly even deliverance from the evil that might come from you not trusting him instead of earthly mammon. And so, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is urging us to come to the Father without any pretense or any doubt or any spiritual confusion or any kind of misguided impulse to trust things that don't have any lasting value over trusting him. Let me get a sip of water for a second. So in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying, come to the Father believing that he is exactly who he says he is. And is exactly the kind of providing father that he says he is, trusting him to be everything he is and to do everything he says he will do. That's a challenge. So let me talk to you about the concern about the evil eye and the good eye for a second. Jesus said, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I think Jesus is just giving us a practical example of what can happen to a person whose heart is given over to this believing that their security actually is in earthly treasures. And he takes that truth about the evil and the good eye right out of Proverbs. There's two passages in particular. Proverbs 22.9 9 says, He who has a bountiful good eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. That's what a good eye that's full of light that sees God clearly in the things of this earth. He's not concerned. Concerned with, you know, being consumed with what he owns. What he he has isn't a precious treasure. He uses what he has to meet the needs of those who are around him. Proverbs 23.6 says, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. This is a heart issue, folks. How you perceive God and how you perceive earthly treasure, it's a heart issue. And Jesus implies that the interpretation about the evil eye in verse 22 is a metaphor for what can happen to you when your spiritual heart is completely blinded by cataracts. There's a grudging, stingy, niggardly disposition in the hearts of those who wholeheartedly treasure mammon and treasures on earth. That's their security. They can't bear to give up any of it. And the good eye is a metaphor for a generous disposition. Someone who is generous with little is neither stingy with it nor anxious about how much they have. The person with the evil eye is focused on how much you're taking from him, even though he says, eat up, enjoy. He's worried that you might take more than he can really give up. These are are behaviors of those who have a wrong-headed view of mammon. And folks, the truth is the earth offers us a lot of potential treasures that can captivate our eyes and our hearts for affection. Everything depends on the spiritual quality of your eye. If your eye is single and focused on heavenly treasures and your father that provides them, you are able to see clearly and your heart is spiritually sound. If your eye is wicked, if it's godless, if it's diseased or unhealthy, if it's idolatrous in how it sees things, it will be tempted to deceive itself in thinking that earthly treasures are really the genuine thing to be seeking. It will see earthly treasure with an idolatrous heart, and it will tend to place earthly treasures ahead of God and ahead of his kingdom. And when he sees things that way, his entire body will be full of darkness, Jesus says. Fully deceived and placing earthly treasures ahead of the things that are really, genuinely worthwhile that actually last. And that darkness, he says, how great and dangerous it is to be in that place. You will become the slave of one and hate the other. And if you're a slave to mammon, you will hate or despise God. That is a spiritual truth. And so when man surrenders to trusting mammon, he becomes practically enslaved. The righteous are those who break free from this entanglement and put their exclusive religious trust and dependence in the person of God. There are a couple of reasons why it's so dangerous, I think, for kingdom citizens to fall into this temptation of not fully trusting God to be and to do what he promises. Let me give you a couple of them. See, I think part of the problem is we think we can do both. We think we can trust God to be our security, and we can also trust mammon to be our security. We don't see the danger in this idea. We don't take heed to be careful about it. So we trust God over here while we gather earthly treasures and property and goods. And it can be hard for us to distinguish the real level of security we're putting in God or earthly treasure. It can get so bad that we don't know any longer. And we're tempted to erroneously put our trust and security in the mammon instead of putting it in God and the daily provision of that God promises to give us. Folks, Jesus isn't opposed to us having riches. He's opposed to us taking a good gift from God and giving it the wrong kind of importance in our lives. Here's the idea, I think. If you have the God of money or some other mammon that you've enshrined in your heart as your Holy of Holies, it's the thing you hide away is your secret security in life. You're trusting that that's going to redeem you and save you. You might need to reprioritize everything in your life, in your heart. Because that secret mammon or that wealth of those earthly goods that you're hiding away, they demand your heart and your service. But I think the greatest danger is this. You'll probably remember through your own understanding of the passage that in Matthew 6.32, Jesus says that seeking earthly security and temporal treasures is what the Gentiles seek after. Seeking security there is a pagan desire. And worrying whether God will provide for you the temptation of the poor coming up is heathen unbelief. Pagans know nothing of God being our Father in Jesus Christ. That's why they can't put trust there. Using Gentiles here serves as a horrible example for kingdom citizens. Jesus seems to be saying something to the effect of the disciples of of my kingdom want to descend to this abominable level? This isn't the way that believers who acknowledge the truth and reality of their Heavenly Father behave. That's all there is to it. We don't behave that way. Every man who denies that God is the provider of all things in life can do nothing other then obey the voice of temptation to pursue ambition and greed and covetousness as they seek their security. They can't do anything else. They have no other frame of reference. It's fallen man, unbelieving man, who has no faith in God, who's given over to pursuing mammon as the means to his security in life. This is why Jesus says that the Christian caught in this temptation is in grave danger. This seeking of earthly treasure as the means to your security, listen, is what drives the hearts of rebellious men to seek earthly treasures. Earthly treasures are what he imagines to be the only possible ultimate good available to him. So he pursues prosperity and wealth and riches and temporal pleasures. This temptation is dangerous for kingdom citizens because when they seek mammon as their temporal security, instead of God himself as their eternal security, they do so under the same delusion that the unbeliever is under. That the truly good things in this life are found only in the world, and they're not found in God. It's just simply not true. God is the most precious thing in our world. A heart that is blinded by cataracts doesn't think that way. Everywhere we see collective humanity, everywhere, refusing to bow before God, refusing to submit themselves to his sovereign care, refusing to trust alone in his goodwill toward us, and refusing to receive from him what he deems as good and fitting for each one of us. Notice that Jesus doesn't suggest that we should renounce wealth and replace it with poverty, as if somehow that's going to make things better or we're going to be happier or we're going to trust God more. Rather, Jesus urges urges kingdom citizens to beware of the potential temptation and spiritual blindness of those who have an idolatrous love and pursuit of wealth. Beware of that. And make sure that you keep an exclusive love and pursuit of God in your heart all the time. Folks, you know, the whole Bible argues that it's in God alone that man can find satisfaction and contentment. Satisfaction and contentment only come with the trust and confidence that what God has provided in his providence toward you is the very best for you. Let me conclude with this idea. One way to resist this temptation of seeking your security in earthly treasures instead of in God himself, is just to hold on to righteous thoughts about God. Trust the scriptures when they tell you to check your heart for spiritual blindness. Trust the scriptures when they tell you the character of God is true, that God is the most precious thing we have in this world. Nothing compares to him. When our eyes are focused on the things of this world and we seek those things to make us secure, we have a really difficult time distinguishing what is truly precious. If the eyes of our heart and our mind are focused on the Father, then we will be in right standing with him and see him clearly to know what he is asking of us at any point in time. I pray this morning that you would take heed to those words. Let me pray for us. Father, what challenging ideas your word has for us. Father, remind us as we sing songs again and share communion together that you are the most precious possession we could ever have and not to let anything get in the way of that. Father, we praise you and thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you for the truth that you've shown us here this morning. Help our hearts to be hearts that long to see you clearly and understand you more fully. And we ask these things in Christ's name.